Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John. Be looking at John 19, verses 28 through 30 this morning. The plan is to preach a text on the death of Christ in the morning and then the resurrection of Christ in the evening. So we'll look at John 19, verses 28 through 30 this morning, and then John 20, verses 19 through 23 this evening. So this morning we'll be looking again at John 19, verses 28 through 30. And please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Oh, Father, help us to see now the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection. Lord, particularly this morning as we consider... Uh, his death, that we would see that as the Apostle Paul has said, we are not to be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, from faith to faith. Lord, help us to see, uh, even now, the thing that appears to be such great weakness, that it is actually the display of the greatest power that has ever been revealed uh, from heaven. Uh, that is to say, uh, the death of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For, Lord, we do ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, one of the things that is the case more and more today as there are people who uh, turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the world becomes more antithetical to uh, Christianity, particularly in our own country, is that uh, people will say things like, you know, there's just nothing special about the fact that a Jewish man died on a cross at the hands of Romans 2,000 years ago. How could that possibly matter to us today? Uh, particularly, even more than that, um, it certainly would not be a great indication of strength if there is this person who, who died. Well, we all have to die. Um, you could maybe make the argument that if he was raised from the dead, that would be a great display of strength. But, but certainly his death is not a display of strength. And we actually see this even coming out in another way today that's uh, perhaps even more common, which is that those, there are many who will try to say today that um, the cross of Christ is not so much speaking about Christ's power, but about his giving up of power only. So it's a way to uh, show that the Lord Jesus Christ is a victim and that he, in this sense, then um, associates himself with victims, that, the, power, that the, the cross is not so much about power, but it's actually about uh, weakness. And this is uh, one of the ways today that's very common for people to uh, try to use the doctrine of 
the death of the Lord Jesus Christ to, um, you know, talk about the, the victim mentality that's everywhere to critique structures of power and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but against both of these things, uh, the Apostle Paul says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. Now notice, not the resurrection, but the cross, the cross of Christ, the message of the cross is the power of God. It is the power of God. It is not actually weakness. There is a great apparent weakness, and you could say even that it is a strength that is showed in weakness, but nevertheless, it is in fact a great and mighty power. Against the, the two objections that we could say that are put forward, you know, what does this have to do uh, with us? And it is actually about weakness. You know, it's, a, it's foolishness that Christ would die and that this would be the way that there would be a Savior. And also, it is actually a display of weakness. Against this, the, the Apostle Paul says a little bit later, also in 1 Corinthians 1, that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. What appears to be foolishness is actually great wisdom. What appears to be weakness is actually uh, great power. And this is shown to us uh, in a number of ways in the scriptures. There are a number of ways in which when we think about uh, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is shown to be, uh, though outwardly appearing to be great weakness, that it is actually great power. And there is, there is, there's many ways in which the scriptures teach us. You can think of the, of the ways in which um, the scriptures describe Christ destroying death by death. So it's not just that he died and was conquered by death, but he actually defeated death itself by dying. So his, his death itself is in fact a great victory and a great show of strength. If by death a person can defeat death itself, then surely that is a power that is beyond anything uh, that could be found in this world. Nobody else has the power to defeat death. Christ was able to defeat death by dying. You could say also that the, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ shows the power of God by his defeat of Satan. So there is, there is in Hebrews chapter 2, Christ uh, by death defeats the one who has the power over death, which is Satan. Uh, Satan being able to accuse us before God has no longer the ability to do that because Christ uh, has won the great victory over Satan and atoned for the sins of his people. Even that atonement uh, is a great sign of power, that Christ was able to atone for the sins uh, of all people uh, who will ever believe in him. Uh, all of his people from all time, uh, every single sin that's ever going to be committed or ever was committed by the, by the people chosen by God from eternity, that all of those sins are atoned for by the death of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. It is a great sign of power. And we see this particularly also with Christ's cry on the cross, as we just read from John 19, it is finished. He believed himself and really did a great work that could not be accomplished by anyone else. And it was not that he was succumbing to a loss when he died, but he was rather declaring something to have been finished, which means that it was not really a show of weakness, but rather the accomplishment of something that required, as we will see, divine strength, that only God could have finished this work which he did. And therefore, it is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that shows that Christ is, in fact, mighty. And this is going to be the goal of what we're going to be looking at today, both in the morning and in the evening. In the morning, looking at the way in which Christ's death brings in the new creation. That uh, what, what Christ is doing when he says that it is finished is he's declaring now that the work of new creation has been accomplished. And if this work is accomplished, then clearly his death is the greatest show of strength the greatest display of power 
that the world has ever known. Uh, because it, it, it takes uh, literally the divine power of new creation. That that is what is going on with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll look at it in the, in the evening as well. That with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the same thing is true. That with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, what is happening is that the new creation itself is in fact being accomplished. And so when Christ declares on the cross that it is finished, we have to, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that is in fact finished? We have to say it's his work. And we have to say then, what work is it? It is his work of new creation, whereby he completes the work, declares it to be finished, and then enters into his rest. Just as the Father finished the work of creation, declared it to be finished, and then entered into uh, his rest. As the Father looked at all the work that he did on the sixth day, saw that it was good, declared it to be done, so too Christ on the cross declares his work to be done and to be finished, signaling the beginning of the new creation. So far from being a sign of weakness, the death of Christ is the manifestation of the divine power whereby we know that, that all of creation, which was previously in bondage to decay, will now await the glorious revealing of the sons of God and be remade in the new creation. All of that began with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, when he died. And when he declared that it was, in fact, finished. So we'll look at this, uh, this topic really under, under two headings. Uh, I, I read for you the, the text where the Lord Jesus Christ declares that it is finished. Uh, but what, I, what I'm actually going to do with regard to this text is to uh, look at the Gospel of John as a whole and show uh, all the things that had happened up to this point that really show us that when Christ declares all things to be done, that it is finished, that, that he is declaring this in the context of a, a new creation uh, sort of theology. So we'll look at this from uh, the Gospel of John as a whole and then this text in particular. And then we'll look then secondly at the significance uh, of this, that Christ brings in the new creation by his death. Now, one of the things that's actually quite common with regard to the Gospel of John as, as a whole is that there is this creation theme that goes all the way throughout the entire gospel. So all the way throughout the gospel, there are little hints that the redemption that is going to come through the Lord Jesus Christ is in fact a new creation. And it's these little hints that help us to see that when Christ then declares it to be finished uh, as he's on the cross, that this is really the culmination of something that John has been doing from the beginning of his gospel. And all this actually begins with what is called the prologue to John's gospel. You'll remember that in John chapter 1, John uh, opens his gospel with uh, some of the most uh, uh, glorious words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And goes on, and, and uh, John will say glorious things like, uh, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father. Things, things like that. That is the, the prologue to the Gospel of John in John chapter 1. And one of the things that you'll notice about the prologue to John's Gospel is that there is this great emphasis on creation. After uh, Christ is declared to have been in the beginning with the Father, then John will say, uh, all things were made through him. And there's a number of points in which, in the prologue in which there is this reference to creation. And yet one of the significant things that happens in the prologue is that the themes of creation that are described in the prologue get used in a new way, even in the prologue, to describe now salvation. And the point is to say that the eternal Son of God who is with the Father in the beginning, he is the one who created all things, and I am now telling you the story about how all things were remade in him. And so after then a declaration that the Son of God, the eternal word, 
made all things, in verse 3, there is then a discussion of light and darkness, reminiscent of day one of creation. So there's creation, the beginning of Genesis, the very next thing that's said is light and darkness are made. John begins his gospel the exact same way. And yet in verse 5 of chapter 1 in John's gospel, there is this statement, uh, not that the light was separated from the darkness, but that the darkness tried to conquer the light and could not, because the light, who is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, has actually conquered the darkness. The language of creation, light and darkness, is now being used to describe salvation. That is to say, the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation is the light that conquers the darkness. And the significance of this is simply the fact that salvation is a new creation. And what John is saying is, you've heard the story of the first creation and now you are going to hear the story of the eternal word of God bringing about the new creation through his work. This is, this is how John begins his gospel. And it, it, it really shows us then that as we go through the gospel of John, we are to look for this theme. This is the, the prologue being the introduction. These are the things that we are to look for. Um, that, that in some ways, the Lord Jesus Christ will accomplish this new creation. Now, as we think more about the gospel of John as a whole, you may be familiar with the structure of the gospel. It's divided into two parts. What is uh, today typically called the book of signs and the book of glory. So the book of signs contains uh, seven signs and, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ did. And they were to, to reveal certain things about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we'll see is that each of these seven signs are in some ways indications that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is the one who has accomplished the new creation. That's the reason why these particular seven signs were chosen. So if you think about what these seven signs are, just to go over them very quickly, uh, there's Christ changing the water to wine in chapter 2, Christ raising the son of a nobleman to life in chapter 4, Christ healing a paralytic in chapter 5, Christ multiplying the loaves in chapter 6, walking on water also in chapter 6, uh, causing the blind to see in chapter 9, and the raising of Lazarus in chapter 11. Now, it's significant to note that John chooses the number seven and that he even records at the end of his gospel that there were many other things that Jesus did. And he says that, you know, if you were to write all of them, the, the whole world would not be able to contain the books that would be a record of all the things that the Lord Jesus Christ did. And so John chose these seven signs in particular to, uh, to describe something about what the Lord Jesus Christ was going to do to accomplish even the, the purposes that John had for his gospel in particular. Even the number seven itself um, immediately shows us a, a connection with creation, uh, that uh, there were seven signs that were accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ at the beginning of his gospel. And the eighth sign is his resurrection from the dead, whereby he brings in the new creation. Uh, we see this even in terms of the, the resurrection being a sign you remember that very early on in the Gospel of John in chapter 2, uh, the, 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 the Jews are asking him, what sign do you do? What sign do you do to show us that you are really the Christ? And Jesus says, well, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. That is the great sign that I'm going to give to you. And then in the context of the first half of the Gospel, seven signs are done. And then at the very end of the gospel, that last sign is in fact accomplished, the, the sign of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so just thinking then uh, a little bit more carefully then about each of these seven signs. So again, going through, looking at the gospel of John as a whole, think of the water into wine. Uh, the water into wine uh, prefigures the great banquet 
in the new creation described in Amos chapter 9, Joel chapter 3, where the prophets there say that the mountains will drip with wine. And you think of uh, Isaiah chapter 25, where uh, Isaiah describes the new creation as a feast, a feast that where God himself sets the table for his people, the veil of death is removed from all people, and there's a feast with wine, with well-aged uh, wine that is going to be the best of wine. And so Christ comes, he turns the water into wine to indicate that the beginnings of this feast have begun, that with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the new creation is in fact happening. And even the fact that it's in the context of, of a wedding shows to us the kind of celebration that will be ours uh, on the last day. I think of the, the, the multiplying of the loaves, this also is a feast of, of the, uh, as, a, as a, a foretaste of the feast uh, of the new creation that uh, Christ sets before us in this way, uh, is the one who, who sets the table for us uh, in the multiplication of the loaves because he's going to feed us with, uh, with a, a feast that uh, goes beyond anything that we could imagine. You think of the two signs of the resurrection, the nobleman's son and Lazarus. These also prefigure Christ's own resurrection and is an indication of the new creation insofar as the new creation is always linked with resurrection. We know that the new creation has come when there is, in fact, a resurrection. You think of the, the walking on water. This builds on uh, Psalm 107, shows that Christ is sovereign over the sea. He's able to command it. It also shows this link with the Exodus, uh, and the Exodus itself pointing forward to the new creation and the, and the new uh, redemption that is in Christ. The healing of the paralytic and the causing of the blind to see um, are particularly in themselves uh, blessings that the, that the Messiah would bring in in the new creation in Isaiah 35. Uh, all of these things, all of these things, the signs that are done, are meant to point to the new creation. Everything that John has recorded in his gospel is meant to indicate that this one who is the eternal word of God who has become man, the one who in the beginning separated the light from the darkness, will also conquer the darkness by his own light, by bringing in the new creation. This is something that, that uh, John has been laboring to show uh, all throughout his gospel. And even, even more particularly, there's an emphasis on um, the work of creation given in chapter 5. And the, remember, the context here would be the, the, the raising of, of the paralytic. And here there is a controversy because Christ uh, significantly does the work on the Sabbath. He does a work that points to the new creation on the day celebrating the old creation. And there, the Jews are very upset with him that he does this work on the Sabbath. Uh, and yet, Christ says that he is able to do this because he does the same works as the Father. My father is working till now, and so I also am working. And then he further defines the work that he does as the work which gives life. So Christ does a work on the Sabbath. He says that he's able to do it because he can do the same works as the father. And he describes this work as the doing of life, uh, as, the, as the, the giving of life. All these things point to the reality that the work that Christ has come to do, the work that Christ has come to do is to bring in the new creation. It is therefore very significant in light of all of these things that when Christ hangs on the cross with, after having done all these things, that it is only as he is dying that he then de declares that his work is finished. What would be that work in the context of the Gospel of John? It is the work of new creation. Uh, Christ, like the Father, as the eternal Son of God declared the work of new creation to be finished on the cross. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ was not an ordinary death. The completion of his work 
was not the completion of an ordinary work. Christ came to do the works of the Father. As he himself says, he finished this work and entered into his rest, even as the Father finished his and entered into his rest. Now, even beyond this, there's a further significance to the fact that immediately after, immediately after Christ declares all things to be finished, we are immediately told in verse 31 that this was the day before the Sabbath, which means he made the declaration on the sixth day, and then we're immediately told that he then, uh, the next day was in fact the Sabbath, the day of rest. So Christ, like the Father, finishes the work on the sixth day, rests in the grave on the seventh day, and then is raised to the newness of life on the eighth day, bringing in the new creation. Now, this is the significance. Ho hopefully, you can see something of the glory of this. Like what, what is happening when Christ declares uh, that all things are finished is that he is, in fact, bringing in the new creation. It, it, it shows, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that his death, his death is actually the greatest display of strength and power that the world has ever seen. Nobody else can do the work of creation. The only one who can do the work of creation is God. Christ brought in the new creation by his death. And it's, it's important then to note as well that this did in fact happen uh, by, by death itself. We, d we do not normally associate death with strength. We associate with weakness. Uh, and yet um, we have uh, one of the uh, 17th century Puritans has a great work on the atonement called uh, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. It's a work by uh, John Owen. And there, the, the whole point of the, in, the, in, the, in the title of the book is that uh, it's actually by death that Christ was able to defeat death itself. The power of God in bringing in the new creation uh, happened through a death itself. Now, one, another thing that this means is that paradoxically, one of the greatest proofs of the divinity of Christ is in fact his death. His death is one of the greatest things that shows that he is in fact God. It's also amazingly one of the ways in which God can hide this truth from others who will never turn to him. You look and you say, well, this person died, everyone dies. And yet for those who have the eyes to see it, we look at his death and we say, if this is really what happened, then the death of my Savior proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ is in fact God. And this is actually something that the gospel writers uh, explain. Uh, this is actually the logic of the gospel of Mark. So if you remember the very beginning of, of Mark's gospel, he says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So two things are said about Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And this, this becomes the structure of, of Mark's gospel. The first half of Mark's gospel concludes with Peter confessing, you are the Christ. And the end of Mark's gospel concludes with a declaration from the Roman centurion, truly this was the Son of God. There is no other person who, who declares that, that Jesus is the Christ or the Son of God. No other human that declares that uh, in Mark's gospel. Everything in Mark's gospel is to meant to, to bring it to this twofold confession. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And the question is, what was the thing that caused the Roman centurion to declare, truly, this was the Son of God? What was the, the proof that was given to him such that someone who is um, not even Jewish was able to see that, in fact, this person is, in fact, the eternal Son of God? And if you remember the context of when the Roman centurion made that declaration, it was in the death of Christ. The way that Christ died, even for those who were there, before even the explanation of the apostles, 
the way that Christ died is what proved to the Roman centurion that Jesus was God. You remember what happened when he dies? The veil is split. The ground shakes. There's darkness all over, uh, all over the earth. All these things were indications that, in fact, what was happening when Jesus died is that it was, in fact, the death of the eternal Son of God. And by his death, then, by his death, then, the new life is being brought in. Now, brothers and sisters, this is uh, quite significant in light of the fact that, if we, as we think about the old world, the old creation, and its relationship to the new creation, the old world, the old creation is consigned over to death. It is going to be destroyed. It's going to pass away. Even as the Apostle John says in, in 1 John, it is already passing away. The old creation is passing away. The new creation is coming. This new creation, which is given over to life, indestructible life through the Lord Jesus Christ, this new creation was brought in by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ itself. And this is the reason why, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ today, what it means is uh, you are in Christ, you are, you are united to him in his death, you are united to him in his resurrection. And if this is the case, then brothers and sisters, this is the reason why you can be called a new creation yourself. Uh, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection was the beginning of the new creation. You are united to him in his death, you are united to him in his resurrection, and therefore, you yourself are a new creation. And just as it is easy for people to miss the significance that Christ's death brought in the new creation, they can look at it and say, well, this is just a normal person dying. Uh, so too with you, though you now are a new creation, people can walk by you and have no idea that they are talking with someone who has already begun to experience the glory of the new creation. And brothers and sisters, one of the, the, the great dangers is that you yourself may forget it. Now, now think about this. You may be speaking at some point with someone who does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Outwardly, you appear to be the same. And yet there is the greatest difference between the two of you. There is the absolute greatest difference. One is consigned over to death as being, being born into and still in the death of the old creation. But brothers and sisters, this is not the case with you. Even as, even as we think about the decay of the body and even us being laid in our graves, uh, we are laid in our graves uh, as Christ was laid in his, which means that as the grave could not hold him, so it cannot hold us. It can't because we are already part of the new creation. And, uh, and even as this is not evident to the world yet, yet all of creation, the creation itself, uh, longs for this great revelation, the revelation of the sons of God, as, John, as, uh, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Think of what, what John says in 1 John 3, 2. What we shall be has not yet been revealed, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Though it may not appear to be the case now, what we are, what we are has truly uh, been accomplished in our hearts, and it will be manifested in everything about us when the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is revealed from heaven. And thus you can walk by, again, two people, one on the path of death, one on the path of life, and be unable to distinguish between the two, even as people walked by the Lord Jesus Christ and were unable to recognize that his death brought in the new creation. Now, brothers and sisters, if this is to be the case, if this is the case, you are a new creation, that Christ, 
has communicated to you this power of new creation by his death. Remember, you participate in this. Uh, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been crucified with him. You have been raised to newness of life with him, which means that the power of new creation is in you in this sense. Uh, because you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are, in fact, a, a new creation. If this is the case, brothers and sisters, uh, let us not be conformed to, to this world, which is passing away. It may look like you are the same as the world. You are not the same as the world. You have already passed into the newness of life. Uh, eternal life has begun the moment that you truly come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. As, as John says in John 13, 17, uh, this is eternal life, that you know Jesus Christ, the one who was sent by the Father. This is eternal life. Once you know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, you have eternal life. Uh, brothers and sisters, if you have been uh, crucified with Christ and raised up with him, you are to live in this newness of life, even as, as, as the apostle uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, even as uh, Christ died to sin that he might then be raised to live to God, so too you, having died to sin with him, are to put off the old man and to put on the new man. You are to live in light of the reality that you are, in fact, new creations in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, as you think about the glory of the new creation, that Christ declared this new creation work to be finished on the cross. As, as I mentioned earlier in one of the prayers that in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, uh, knowing the greatness of this power, not, not weakness, but power. And there he is talking about the, the, the resurrection. But the idea is that in both death and resurrection, there is this power of God, this creation power of God that is being displayed. One of the things that, that, that Paul prays is that you would have the strength even to comprehend the greatness of the power even to comprehend the greatness of really what was happening when all things were remade through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, this is really uh, the great thing that is necessary for you as you think about the significance of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would understand the greatness of this power that was at work in you, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and by implication for you, and that you are therefore no longer to live according to the ways of this world. You are a new creation, and so therefore you are to live as one who truly is a part of the new creation. And this means, brothers and sisters as well, that there ought to be a clear difference between your life and the life of unbelievers. You are, uh, you, there should be an obvious difference that should come up, uh, not with what you look like outwardly, but the way in which you live. The inward man is the thing that now is partaking of the new creation. The outward man is the thing that's wasting away. The inward man is the thing that, that shows this great distinction between us and the world. And so may it be that as we think about uh, the glory of the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God would give you the grace to understand the greatness of this power that the world considers foolishness and weakness, and that this power may be at work in you, that you might be able to put to death the sins of the body and live to God in the newness of the new creation, that the darkness might not overcome you, but that you might overcome it in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do thank you for the resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How we do thank you for the death of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that in 
the death of your son, the declaration of all things being accomplished uh, happened. And that, Lord, we can see that these things are so far beyond us. That, Lord, as we think of all the ways in which the scriptures describe the great strength, the great power, which was manifested when Christ died on the cross, that, Lord, we are unable to even, even begin to contemplate the accomplishment of these things on our own. And, Lord, when we think of the, of the glory of the fact that these are the things that were done for us, that Satan would be defeated on our behalf, that sin would be atoned for, that death itself would be defeated by death, that the new creation would be brought in. Lord, how we do pray that you would help us to see the foolishness of, of, our, of trusting in ourselves for salvation and the great wisdom in turning to you and in walking in the fear of you and in striving to live in a manner that's in accordance with the gospel, not even with our own strength, but with the strength that comes uh, from, uh, from the one who raised Jesus from the dead and who does the work of new creation. Lord, we do ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. May God enlighten the eyes of your heart, that through the preached word your eyes may be opened to behold the glory of Christ more and more.